welcome to Master the Start, a podcast for young professionals where we interview business experts on how you can master the start of your life and business. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? I'm your host, Bobby Mason, and we welcome you to the Master the Start podcast. Today, we have a wonderful guest on the show, Abigail Greenheck, the vice president of an awesome company called Beehive PR. Really, it's just, you know it as Beehive. Abigail, unflappable, absolute beast, can handle any challenging situation. She approaches every new opportunity you're going to find out here with vision, curiosity, discernment, and her clients love her. They love her positive attitude. They love her creative strategies. They love her honest counsel. And I tell you more about her, but the thing is, I'm going to let you enter this podcast not knowing anything kind of like me. I did my homework, but I still didn't know anything about the world of PR, and man, did I learn a lot. So sit back, relax, join us in this wonderful episode of Master the Start starting right now. My name is Abigail and I work in strategic communication. I live and work in St. Paul, Minnesota. I am a group vice president at Beehive Strategic Communication is our full name. At Beehive, I have the opportunity to lead pieces of business and corresponding teams to manage communication efforts for clients in the healthcare space, among other industries. So we are a communications agency. We serve clients across all business categories for everything related to communication. Our clients really trust us and they come to Beehive to help them solve really complex business challenges using the power of communication to get better results. So that means we work on everything from workplace culture and employee engagement to brand positioning, earned media, and digital marketing. One day I could be working on an interview with a reporter for a client where I'm helping facilitate the interview, drafting key messages, reaching out to a reporter and pitching one of my clients to be a guest on a podcast, for example. But then at the same time, I could be also developing an employee message for a corporate restructure that a client is going through. You know, I think it's one thing for a company to craft a really strong brand value or unique sales proposition or key message or tagline, but in order for that to really be successful, you have to support it with communication efforts that go beyond just putting out a press release or writing some language for a website. The brand messaging and the messages and the communication that supports it must be embedded in a very similar way across all communication efforts. So again, that's internally with your own team, with your board, your stakeholders, your customers, and probably most importantly, your future customers. Sure, that brand voice is something we work with a lot of different clients on and striking the right balance between conversational and professional, between humor and seriousness, and striking that right tone from the get-go is something that's really important. We put together things called brand style guides that help companies really understand that voice of the company and that brand and then help we help define it and kind of create a playbook for everybody throughout the organization to follow to make sure again that that voice is consistent through all the different messages that's got to be so hard and the reason why i say that is because i i'm personally an entrepreneur so we're trying to figure out 
our voice in different companies all the time. Yep. And I always think about how in the world do you create a voice that isn't already out there? How do you activate someone's mind to go, oh, that's new? Because I mean, all of us are getting just bombarded with thousands and thousands of messages a day and we just keep swiping. Sure. Yep. Exactly. How do you design something different and how do you stay? I mean, I guess my biggest question would be, how do you stay in tuned in that world? Like how do you consume all that content and then not just create something or a voice that's been done before? Sure. It usually starts, we try to create everything like that from a very authentic place. So it starts from internally with entrepreneurs or with business owners to understand what's, what is the authentic voice of the company? What is sort of been their mantra or their, the way they talk about themselves from the very beginning? And then what can we bring forward from that? That just makes it more natural and more appealing. So I'll take something like humor Some companies are humorous and other companies are not. And usually there's a pretty firm line in the sand on on humor. And so it's always interesting to talk to companies. How does humor play a role in how you talk about yourselves? And if they say, oh, no, we're we're definitely not funny, that's fine. Or if they say, oh, we like a little bit of slapstick and we like a little bit of a kind of tongue-in-cheek or a little bit of a wink in our language, that definitely separates them and, and and. pushes you down a path that might be different from another company. So does humor capture people's attention a little more? Depending on depending on the brand, I think humor in a healthcare brand might be a little off-putting. <laughs> um, but humor in a consumer packaged good brand can be really fun and engaging. And then you also have to look at all the competitive set and who are your maybe top four to six competitors, not going any deeper than that. And starting to look at how those competitors talk about themselves and making sure that you're carving out the best white space for yourself so that you're not just a mirror image of any of your competitors. So do you look at competitors and try to mimic some of the stuff they do, but also counter a lot of stuff they do? Or are you just trying to be completely different? We definitely try to be completely different, but there's always learnings from competitors. I think we look at even the simplest things of looking at their Facebook page and seeing how people are reacting to the content that they're putting out there, whether they're super engaging and think it's really fun and the shareability is really high, or if there's really limited engagement, that tells you something too. I I definitely hear what you're saying there. And I'm just like thinking to myself, I'm trying to process. So it would be valuable for a first timer entering the world of business to look at their top competitors and really consume what they're doing well. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of market research that people are already doing that you probably can't pay for. Exactly. (laughs) But how do you, how do you know when you're countering, like if you're, when you do create a message that's very different than someone else's, how do you know it's the right message? Are you constantly testing it and pivoting the message or do you just go full blown with it? Sure. There's something we like to say, let's get about 75% of the way there. Let's feel 75% confident with a message before putting it out there and seeing how people react to it. I think in this age, in this day and age, when everything is moving so fast uh, and and messages are are moving so fast and people are seeing so many messages, 75% is a good bar to say, I'm feeling pretty confident about there. Let's get it out there and test it. I think you can certainly always test it with a small group of key stakeholders, whether that be investors or your friends and family even, 
to get kind of a small little focus group, especially with entrepreneurs where huge testing and market research budgets might not be possible. Um, so testing it a little bit with some friends and families and some outsiders if possible, but then be willing to just jump out and, and put something out there and, and learn from how people react to it. So are you testing it with investors and stuff like that prior to hitting your 75% or is that after you hit your 75%? It kind of depends on what exactly the message is, but if it's something as simple as a Facebook post, no, just get it out there and test it, see what happens, see how people react to it. If it's something like a million dollar advertising campaign, yeah, I'd probably test that with some investors first. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, I just, yeah, it seems so difficult. How, how do you even get to the 75% though? Like what, what is oh, that? Wow. What does that process look like from just Sure. Coming up with the message to feeling comfortable enough to at least show it to people. Our process looks something like this. We first start with research, of course. We look at the universal dynamics affecting people very broadly across the universe. So that's industry agnostic. So take it something like data privacy. That's an issue that consumers are concerned about. It's impacting every industry under the sun. And, you know, there's a general feel of nervousness around data privacy. So we look at the big trends happening at a very macro level. Then we look at how those trends are impacting the industry in which we're working. So that kind of gives us a good basis for how people are feeling about a certain topic area or a certain industry. And then we look at research around the, the certain brand and their competitive set. So that starts to map out, is their competitive set reacting to the trends and the data that's out there? Um, is that maybe a white space for you for a certain brand to go in and really attack it head on and really lead with the message that we know is very trend focused? Or at the same time, maybe everybody's doing that already. So you want to take more of a lighthearted approach that doesn't rely so heavily on the, the facts and the news that's out there on a particular topic. So the research really creates that foundation for any idea and any message. And then we go dive into the creative development standpoint where the sky's really the limit. You start just riffing off ideas and brainstorming and coming up with catchy phrases and headlines and taglines. Uh, and then you kind of have to walk away from it for a little bit, let, let it noodle, sit on a piece of paper for a while, and then come back to it and see what, in, the, in a couple of days' time, see what sort of stuck with you and see what should fall down to the to the cutting room floor. And usually that, that process helps get us to a handful of good ideas that then we start to build off of. Gotcha. And I'm sorry, I'm kind of diverging away from okay. some of the set questions. Sure. Is this all stuff that's done within Beehive? Or are you, are you involving the client at all during that process or not really? Sure. We are usually from a research standpoint right away. Typically, clients have some level of research that they like to share with us to look at. But what we find often, especially with some of our larger clients, is that they might be sitting on 12 inches of research that they have no idea what to do with. And so taking a look at all the research, internal engagement scores, marketplace research, um, all of those types of materials that can create you know, stacks of paperwork, we help them dive through that and, and cull through it to create those and develop and uncover those really impactful insights that then can drive further research. Gotcha. further research or further ideation. Okay. So they usually provide some level of research on the upfront. And sometimes clients are involved in that brainstorming process with us. Other times they might not want to be. That makes a lot of sense. Sure. Yeah. I just, it's just so interesting. <laughs> so we'll get back on script a little bit. Sure. Um, 
Explain how strategic communication relates to company's culture. Sure. I'll touch on two areas of workplace culture. Uh, First, I'll say that Beehive has an award-winning workplace culture, and that makes it such an amazing place to work every day. It's good for our team, sure, but it's also good for our clients because they know that their teams are feeling supported day in and day out, and there's a very low level of turnover in our team, which I think is very rare when you're working in an agency setting. Hmm. Um, For example, our Be Better program is our wellness and professional development program. It intentionally supports our teams in being their best selves at work and in life, which I think is really important in today's workplace culture. So we do things like quarterly wellness challenges. It might be fitness related or it might be sleep practices related. Uh, We also receive $1,000 a year per person at the company for any wellness-related activities. So it might be a personal trainer, or it might be a meditation app, or it might be new sheets to get you a really good night night of sleep. Uh, But it's that flexibility to really help invest in your personal selves and in your personal wellness. Uh, We also have cardio space in in our office and a meditation space as well to help to support that, um, that engagement throughout our office. And we know that these investments that our company makes and that a lot of our clients are making are good for not only our people, but our business as well. We enjoy strong productivity, very minimal sick time, which is interesting, and retention rates that are 20% above industry average. So that's tips that, that gives us a little bit of touch on the beehive culture, with which we try to bring to our clients. And we know that today's employee really expects a lot more. They expect more development opportunities, more coaching, more collaboration. And workplace culture is a huge part of that because the culture is what helps foster some of those rising expectations from today's employees. Okay, so Beehive sounds like a really fun place to work. <laughs> How do you, when you guys first started it, well, actually, so when Beehive started, was this just, part of the company culture right out of the gate or was it developed over time? Sure. It really was part of the culture uh, and really part of the founding story of Beehive. Lisa Hannum, our fearless CEO, uh, was coming back from her first child's maternity leave and was trying to negotiate a return to work schedule that worked for her as a new mother. And when that wasn't a possibility at her at her job and that flexibility wasn't there, mind you, this was 21, 22 years ago now, uh, she decided to leave and start up her own firm that really allowed people to bring their best selves to their work, but also to be their best selves at home and outside of work as well. So that level of balance, you know, we call it more of a dance than a balance because some weeks is it some weeks are easier than other weeks and some days are easier than other days. But overall, I think it's important that that we all support each other at work and getting our work done. And we also support each other to be able to leave work at five o'clock because we've got daycare pickup to to make. Um, And that's a really a part of our culture and always has been from the very beginning. How do you stick to it, though? Like, I, I just think about our companies and you just run into weeks that are so busy. You just forget about taking care of yourself. It's sure. just, it just happens. Yeah. And then you just go down this rabbit hole of doing it week after week after week. And you forget that you're supposed to be having fun. You're supposed to be enjoying work. Sure. And how do you incorporate it even when you guys might be behind schedule or any of those things? <laughs> sure. You know, I think a big part of it is that our clients really respect that about our agency. 
And there are, we, I can't think of a single client that we've worked with at least in the last five years who email us on a weekend or late at night and are asking for something unreasonable. Really? You know, they understand that we go home at night and if, if there is an emergency, of course we are available, but it helps them filter through, is this really an emergency or can this wait for a phone call in the morning? Mm-hmm. And that really helps us, you know, keep our promises to our people because our clients really respect that. And then in turn, we respect that with each other, that we aren't reaching out to each other and working after hours. Or if we are, if we are behind on something or need to catch up, you know, we're drafting emails and we're just letting them sit there and we send them in the morning. You know, we don't create that culture where you constantly feel like you have to check your emails because honestly, I don't get emails after hours. And if I do, I don't have to respond to them unless it's something, you know, very out of the ordinary. So I think the fact that we all respect it with each other, as well as the fact our clients really respect that helps make it happen. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Then I'm going to put you on the spot. <laughs> Out of all of the things that you guys do within company culture, what, what are the top two things you'd recommend for a company to start doing hmm. that really changes your guys' efficiency, your bonding, basically sure. the, whole, the whole spiel? I think one thing we do really well that I think is very unique is that we have very clear advancement criteria for each person's role. And, you know, they're, they're people agnostic, it's role specific, but it helps create that clarity and that expectation around here's your job description and what we, what we expect from you to do your job well. And then here's the criteria to get you to the next level. And it is very clear and open and anybody has access to that information to be able to look so that we're all sort of coming to work doing the job that everybody expects of ourselves and everybody expects of each other. And I think that level of transparency and openness um, helps just foster an environment that's very comfortable and easy and, you know, accountable. I really like that. I like that a lot, actually. So yeah. you guys pretty much know what milestones you can hit yeah. to move up yep. and do things prop. That's that's great. That's nice yeah. to eliminate those questions in an organization. Exactly. For sure. mm-hmm. All right. Give me, not if we're just really focused on strategic communication here out of the gate, how does it relate to risk management? Um, part of our work that we do includes crisis and issues management, a fair amount of our work. And it's really in this day and age, it's not a matter of if a crisis will strike, but more when a crisis will strike. And that preparedness and responsiveness to crisis and issues are both are very important to resolving any issue successfully is being ready to do it, being ready to address it and ready to kind of sit shoulder to shoulder with our clients to help them through it. So we help organization and organizations anticipate issues and ground response plans and their purpose, mission and values. So part of that work includes the the pre-work to say, what are those issues keeping you up at night? What are the potential issues that your type of business could face? And how would you go about starting to address them? So we we can know ahead of time when a crisis strikes, we can quickly use the power of communication to manage and resolve the issues. And we can do so very quickly and efficiently because everybody has been through some of that planning process to understand what it would look like and what it would take. And who are really the key decision makers and the stakeholders in those conversations. And you say that everyone has to prepare for risk. I mean, there's going to be, there's going to be problems that arise. And I think it's interesting to kind of 
touch on that a little more just from the perspective of, you know, when a lot of people leave college or they're early in their careers, it's just, you have to live life with a level of extreme optimism. Sure. Right. Because you think like those problems aren't going to happen to me. Like it's not going to happen to our company. Is every client that you meet with, are they very open to preparing for that, those problems and the risk? Are they big enough that they're open to that? Do you ever have people that just say, we don't need to worry about it. We shouldn't focus on it, whatever else. Sure. I think it, it depends on the level of client that we're working with. Cause honestly, we do work with a lot of entrepreneurs who would put up blinders to it and they would address a crisis or an issue if, and when it happens because they're focused on building a business. And, and we certainly understand the work and the sweat equity that takes. But then we're also working with CEOs and chief operating officers and chief people officers or HR officers. And they are, I mean, they're having people coming in and examining their buildings from a building security standpoint, especially in this day and age. And they're making accommodations in their building to account for an active shooter type of situation. I mean, I think the higher up in the organization you get, the more, you know, prepared and the understanding is higher for the need for that crisis plan and the preparedness piece of it. So how do you work on the, do you guys actually work with them on the crisis plan itself? We do from the communications component of it, not necessarily the business continuity component of it. So for instance, you know, your business's server room blows up, what's going to happen? We can't really help you identify how to get your servers back up and running, but we can help you pre-draft all the communication to let the right people know and understand what the plan is to get those, get those servers back up. So you pre-draft a bunch of stuff with hopes that you never have to use it. Yes. <laughs> That's fun. Yes. I guess. Sounds stressful though, having to write <laughs> the correct language for stuff like that. Sure. Is that stuff supposed to be, um, <laughs> is that like more of a blunt message? Is it a softer approach? How Depends do you go about So give me an example of a crisis and then how you, how you create a message around that crisis. Let's see here. We had a client who was working on a construction for a hospital in a different state altogether. And there was an explosion on the construction site and the hospital had to be evacuated. And there were a couple of fatalities in that explosion. And so at first, you know, I think the the business leaders first instinct was to get out and get in front of the story and to talk to media and be compassionate and, you know, heartfelt with this messaging. But first we, we had to pause and really understand what happened in the explosion, who was actually responsible for it. Was it the contractor, a, a sub, a, you know, who knows, like you had to kind of get to the, get to the facts first and foremost, before you could go out with any sort of messaging. Because if it wasn't, if the explosion wasn't the fault of our client, we needed to know that up front before you were, before our client was put in a position of sort of accidentally accepting blame for an explosion that was very detrimental. Um, so in that situation, our client wasn't actually responsible, but it was their subcontractor who was responsible. Um, so the message was very balanced and, and focused on the facts and getting the right facts out there to the right people. With, of course, an undertoning of, of caring and support, knowing that there were fatalities. And, of course, we, we don't want to come across cold, um, but making sure that what it was warm yet fact-based. 
That's super interesting. Thanks for sharing that example. Yeah. So you've worked with some big, big brands. Like yeah. Like Mall America, General Mills, Pepsi. What value did Beehive bring to those companies? And sure. what did you learn from working with companies like that? Yeah. I've had the opportunity to work with some really amazing organizations, both at Beehive and during the, the eight years that I spent at Olson before Beehive. And I will say that my clients have taught me so much. And that's what's really fun about working in an agency setting is that you have the opportunity to dive into industries that you might never have considered working in before. Um, healthcare is a good example for me. I can't even watch my own blood being drawn. It gives me the icks. So working in healthcare was never going to be in the cards for me. I never considered it. But through my client work with the University of Minnesota Health, I am so much more confident in my ability to navigate the complex world of healthcare, both professionally and understanding how communication plays a role in healthcare, but also managing the healthcare for myself and my family. You know, God forbid that you have a health condition or a disease or a situation occur where you are needing to manage multiple doctors, multiple opinions, multiple different types of appointments. Uh, but that was the experience that I ended up facing with my mom a couple of years ago. And so it was an interesting world's collide moment where I was managing her healthcare and knowing what I know now about healthcare systems and how to navigate that, it helped me help my mom get better care because of that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So I think just the opportunity to, to dive into industries that you never might have considered yourself working in is what I've learned tenfold over my career, whether that be the way a beverage product is distributed through, you know, C stores throughout the United States or healthcare or, you know, even construction and the risk management side of, of the construction industry. Um, that has been so instrumental in let, letting me and teaching me know, you know, a little bit about a lot of different industries is really fun. So when you get a new client like Pepsi or, or they're all different industries, mm -hmm. you have like a certain amount of time in which you really sit down and you try to learn as much as you possibly can about the industry. Is that information yeah. they give you? Or are you just looking up? Yeah. I mean, you have that onboarding window of a few weeks where I literally find myself reading every article I can get my hands on about a particular client as well as their competitors. So it's really trial by fire oftentimes to figure out, you know, what's making the news, what are the messages that they're trying to get out there, you know, based on the assignment that we receive, we kind of start to understand where the gap is between what they're trying to communicate and what media is actually reporting on. So we start to look at what's working, what's not working and where there's some opportunity. Hmm. That seems tough. <laughs> just having sure. to be an expert in so many industries. Yep. I'm sure I'm not going to put you on the spot. I'm not going to make you answer <laughs> this, but I'm sure you run into industries that you're like, Oh, gotta learn that one. Darn it. <laughs> sure. I mean, I think coming into work in the healthcare industry was that moment for me where I'm like, Oh God, this is, this is complicated. Like, I don't know what I'm talking about. I was in meetings with chief medical officers and chief nursing officers where you're like, what are these acronyms? And I was like frantically Googling what people were saying, <laughs> but sort of, it is kind of a process of osmosis and starting to just absorb it and be around it more and more. 
um, helps you quickly get a lay of the land pretty quickly. And then, of course, we always have some advocates within our client organizations who never have a problem asking silly questions or, or um, you know, would never embarrass us by putting us on the spot on something that they know we don't have the expertise on. So there's usually some, some, a certain level of grace involved as well. Okay. Now I'm, I'm going to ask you a curveball question because you said like at the beginning, you're stuck in a bunch of meetings where you don't know the lingo, yep. which is completely understandable in healthcare. My father is a doctor and okay. when he talks about stuff. I'm just like, what's going on? You lost me so quickly. I just wanted yep. a generic, easy answer. <laughs> so with people that are jumping into things that they don't know and like you were in those meetings and you got all this lingo that's kind of going over your head yep in those meetings do you sit there and voice that you don't understand what they're talking about do you jot down notes and look it up later what what do you recommend I am constantly writing down acronyms that's usually where I start because I can't take notes fast enough to even understand um, so I am jotting down the acronyms because going backwards, usually by looking up the acronyms and understanding, you know, what they're talking about from that standpoint, usually can get you at least a little bit further in the conversation. But then what I try to do is actually step away from the words they're actually saying and be watching more of the body language and what topics people get really fired up over or what topics there might be conflict around. So I start to look more at and taking notes on body language between different people presenting in a room or between different groups or different audiences or different topics, because that can actually help get you onboarded onto a topic a lot quicker than just frantically taking notes and trying to understand what every sentence means. Yeah. You can sort of start reading between the lines pretty quickly. That makes a lot of sense. I like that. I'm an entrepreneur, so this is going to be a selfish question. Sure. What is the most important thing for entrepreneurs to know about strategic communication as they look to grow their business? Sure. I think it's important for entrepreneurs to remember that they're always on record. You know, they don't need to be on the phone with media to be on the record, but it might be with your children's teachers who might be future clients of yours, or it might be in a boardroom, or it could be talking to media. But any interaction that you have is a reflection on the business that you're trying to grow, especially in those early days when there really isn't much of a separation between the brand that you're trying to build and you as an individual. Um, and I think that's important to remember that that consistent message, that consistent experience is really, is really important. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree with that more. You're, you're the face of your company at the yeah. beginning. That mm -hmm. is for sure. What should non-business owners know about communication in general? Like how, how should they effectively use communication to, I don't know, either further the career, do better in their work life, like, I mean, I think communication plays a role in everything every person does. Yeah. And, and you kind of hinted at this exactly how I'll, I'll answer that question is that your words and your delivery matter. And every opportunity to communicate should be done very thoughtfully. And that if everyone thinking very globally, very altruistically, but if everyone truly took the time to consider every word, every message that they're putting out in the universe, I actually think the world would probably be a better place. Yeah. I mean, looking at the negativity and the, the, just the, I don't know, the pain that is Twitter these days 
And the political world plays, of course, a huge role in that and that sort of level of turmoil. Um, But just if you can bring some positivity and bring some thoughtfulness to the words that you're putting out into the universe, I think it makes a big impact. And I think people respect that and, and you will people will gravitate towards somebody who is positive and whose words really are considered and thoughtful. Um, people are drawn to that and they like it. And I think it, it as a business owner or a non-business owner, you should be someone that people want to talk to and that people feel good after talking to. Yeah. And I, I like what you said there about really thinking through your words and like I always get drawn into like the thought of critical thinking. Mm-hmm. How I'm going to use my generation as an example. Like we don't do, I mean, we're known to not do a lot of critical thinking. Sure. So you just kind of hear things and then you just kind of spit it out and agree or whatever it might be. And then you look back on it a few days later and go, gosh, I didn't really agree with that at all. Sure. But I just think like really thinking through what you say, critically analyzing it before you say it, even if you have to make some awkward pause, like it's not frowned upon. Yeah. It's never frowned upon to say, I need to think about that or, you know, let me, let me think about it and get back to you in 20 minutes. I mean, it doesn't need to take forever, but I think everybody, everybody could be more thoughtful with their words for sure. And I always give an example of people saying, whether you're an Elon Musk fan or not, that guy is just sitting there on stage stumbling (laughs) all the time, but it's because he's, you can like feel him genuinely thinking about every answer. Yeah. And no one, no one gets mad at him for doing that. It's just, it almost feels more genuine. Yeah. So, okay. So I'd love to touch really quick on employee engagement. Sure. And, and you brought it up earlier, how and your company culture, everything you guys do within Beehive really improves employee engagement. Mm -hmm. So what, what are the biggest problems with employee engagement today? Sure. We touched on this a little bit, like you noted, but it really, it starts with the idea that expectations are rising faster than they ever have before. And employees really expect more from their employers, from development opportunities to coaching, to collaboration, to more flexibility. And employees aren't, aren't, um, afraid to leave a job when they're not getting what they expect or what they feel like they is owed to them. And I don't disagree with any of these expectations. I'm a millennial myself. And while I don't expect a pat on the back for simply doing my job, I do expect to be challenged and to receive opportunities to help grow my career. And I think when organizations aren't willing to meet these rising expectations of their employees, they're going to have a really hard time keeping them engaged. Is it both sides? Like, do the employers expect more from the employees nowadays as well or not really? Hmm, that's a good question. And I don't, I'm sure you might not have the answer, but I just, I just think to myself, like employees expect so much more. Yeah. You know, I, I, I do think that goes both ways. I think, you know, as long as there's a level of transparency and, and expectation setting that happens between employees and employers, it's okay for both parties to expect more out of that relationship. So I know we, then we already said like those milestones that you guys have within Beehive really 
does that improve your employee engagement too, you think? I think so, because there's a clear path for everyone. And you can understand how your career is going to be developed because there's an openness to discussing it. There's no mystery around you know, uh, uh, if you deserve a promotion, because you can look and you can know within your own self, if you've accomplished the milestones that are needed for that promotion. So the fact that there's that level of transparency, um, means that there's a higher level of engagement because everybody wants to achieve those milestones to get to the next level. And if career advancement isn't something that you're looking for, I think that could be challenging because I think we all, you know, are holding ourselves accountable to continue to advance in our careers because we know that helps our, our business grow. Yeah. And I know you guys do quite a bit with employee engagement. So when it comes to working with a team or a group of employees, how do you create a message that resonates with them? So is it the same? Can you create the same message that will work in every industry or does it change with every group of people? Do you have to analyze those people prior to sure. making the message themselves? Or You you are hinting at it, exactly that. Um, it To create that authentic message, you have to start with the employees. Listen to them, connect with them, hear them, understand them. Open things like employee feedback channels to be able to get that candid input and feedback on certain topics and at all levels of the organization. So you should be talking to everybody from the person who empties the trash at night all the way up to the CEO and asking and talking with each of those people about their expectations and what they like about the company and where they're seeing some problems in the company. And then typically you can pretty quickly get to what that happy medium is that is a message or, or a framework or a plan that can help solve the needs of people across the organization. Gotcha. So you do create a message that resonates from top down. Yeah, but then it's how that message is shared and communicated that certainly varies by industry and by company. So an example of that, we were working with a large healthcare system and we heard from the overnight shift team members, the healthcare providers, that they always felt left out from company events because they weren't on site for lunch meetings or happy hours or even the morning donut delivery, that they were already home sleeping, getting ready for their next shift. And so we started to hold all employee meetings at all times of the day across eight different hospitals. So we were hosting meetings with executives to share to share a strategic plan with their organization at 11 p.m., 5 a.m., 12 p.m., and 4 p.m., making sure that we were providing options for literally everyone in the company to participate and to hear a message directly from the CEO. And it made a big difference. Those overnight workers loved that they were heard and they were listened to. Mm, that's super cool. So I'm going to ask two more questions before we go into the quick fire. Um, the first one is, how do you translate your big ideas to stories on paper? And I think a lot of people are coming up with ideas all the time. How do you really create those strategies? How do you translate big ideas to stories? It really starts with inspiration. Maybe it's a collection of images. Oftentimes it's a video. And then we layer in the strategy on top of that inspiration and some of those visual assets. And then we show how it comes to life through a variety of different channels. For instance, how the message looks and feels to employees, to media, to customers, and start to really demonstrate how the strength of an idea and the strength of a message 
is really told through how it comes to life across so many different audiences. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> I could dive into that for a long time, but we have a <laughs> limited amount of time. So I'm, I'm going to move on with uh, the last one that I was going to ask for quick fire is I'm sure you guys get put in a lot of unique situations. And I'm really curious about what is the worst thing that happened to you on the job and how did you handle it? Oh man, two things come to mind. First, I was in my early twenties in my career and I slipped in the bathroom on the bathroom floor of my client's office in New York city. And I broke my foot in their office. Oh, so I was young and very embarrassed and like actually legitimately could barely walk. But I managed to hobble through New York for two days without even realizing that it was totally broken. And I just had to like grit my teeth and make it happen. Right. So that was one that was a horrible day. But then a more recent example, we were in charge of hosting an all employee meeting for 2000 employees for a, for a client of ours. And it was the first time they had ever done anything like this. And they were very excited about it. And it was a big milestone for them. And everything was set up. The presentation was running from my laptop. Like everything was tested multiple times, looked good, ready to go. And as people started coming into the auditorium, our wireless signal started breaking down. So the, the physical people in the room were getting in the way of the signal between my laptop and the screen. Oh, no. So despite the fact that it had been working when the room was empty, it was no longer working now that it was full of people. So we had, I mean, every IT person under the sun, you know, we had 10 minutes to figure this out. And we ended up having one person running the presentation hardwired up on stage and then another person running the same presentation um, so that like the, the monitors on the sides of the room were also running the same thing so that people could be following along. And it was just to literally watch a wireless signal break down in front of you was horrifying. It was not good. So the lesson in that one is that it should always be hardwired. Do not rely on wireless for anything that involves, you know, a thousand or more people. It's just... All right. Risky. That's good to know. Risky. A thousand or more people you hardwire. Yep. <laughs> lesson learned. Okay. So we ask all of our guests the same quick fire questions. Sure. And, and I say the same stupid thing in all of our podcasts by saying they're not really quick fire. We end up going more in depth. So <laughs> fair warning. Um, the random question that we got from some of our audience members this week is if you're in the circus, would you rather be the person with their head inside the lion's mouth or would you rather get shot out of a cannon? Totally shot out of a cannon. Much better way to go down. Much more fun. <laughs> All right. I mean, I didn't think about it from that perspective, but I can respect it. It'd probably be quicker. <laughs> yep. Maybe a little less bloody. Maybe. Okay. So you're, you're a cannon person. Yep. That's great. That's great. Second question. What skills does a young professional need to have straight out of college? I think tenacity and just a general willingness to learn and be able to jump in, be bold, you know, ask for what you need and ask for what you want and just get yourself out there. 
So you ask for what you need and what you want. I think a lot of people don't do that today. Yeah. Which is understandable because it's yeah. scary. Yeah. I mean, you you succeeded pretty quickly in your career. Like uh, you you were pretty young when you started doing all these amazing things, which means you had to ask for things. Yeah. What what advice would you give to people on how to ask or how to motivate to ask? Sure. Um, have the, have the data to back yourself up. You know, don't be asking for things that, you know, are out of the blue or don't have any sort of research to support it. You know, I think salary is the easiest thing in that topic area. Have the background to say industry average for this role with this number of years of experience is X and that stuff with the power of the, the, the great internet, all of that stuff is available to people. You just have to know where to find it and use the research to help build your case. Hmm. And how do you get used to the idea of getting rejected every once in a while when you ask? I think there's lear- there's learnings from rejection too. Hopefully the rejection comes with an explanation of why you're getting that rejection. And you can learn from that and know like, okay, what do I need to do to achieve it? To Can we revisit it in six months and talk about it again? And I think there's always there's always things to learn from negative conversations too. Yeah, for sure. Okay, third quick fire question is what do you believe needs to be sacrificed for success? I have been thinking about this one and I couldn't come up with a single thing that I thought should be sacrificed for success. I like that. I think, you know, the biggest thing that came to mind was just time and how valuable time is. And I'm the first person to say to any of my friends or family how much I love my job and how I'm very challenged at my job, yet I'm always available to pick up my four-year-old from daycare at night. And whether that means I need to pass something off to a coworker that might be urgent or needs to be finished, we all have that understanding that we pick up each other's work if we need to, we share responsibility if we need to, and we do what we have to do to make it work. And that's something that... I'm just, I would never sacrifice time with my family for time for my job. And I'm very fortunate to work at a place that understands that and promotes it and, and really celebrates it. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. I definitely sacrifice time. That's something I do do, which I should. Yeah, time is valuable. Working in a professional services industry where we literally bill our time, you know, every hour of our time goes toward, you know, a particular job. Um, it makes you value time in a very different way, in a very real way. Definitely. Definitely. All right. Last question. What is one life hack a student of business should apply to their life this week? Like I said, time is money and grocery delivery services are life changing. (laughs) As much as you can automate that day-to-day mindless work and mindless activity, so that you can focus on the things that matter, whether that be time with your family, your friends, or time at the office. Um, I say automate it. Automate it? Mm-hmm. So this week they should all automate one thing? One thing, yeah. I get my toilet paper delivered on a monthly basis, my paper towel, and groceries come once a week, and I don't have to think about it. That's nice. Yeah. I want to automate my entire life <laughs> and my it's work. Kind of, no. <laughs> it's kind of uh, it's kind of the running joke that I am the one in the office who has automated the most <laughs> dry cleaning, pickup, dry cleaning, delivery, 
in this day and age and living in the city, everything can be delivered and picked up and everything is kind of at your fingertips, which is nice. So true. So true. Well, I, I loved talking to you, Abigail. It was, right. a, it was a great time. I'm happy we could both make it through even with the colds. Yes. Amen. So everyone, sorry if you heard any random awkward pauses. We both almost died at <laughs> the show. but We made it. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. Perfect. Thank you. Bobby back with you really quick before I let you go and enjoy the rest of your week. Abigail was a blast, wasn't she? We had to cut some things here and there because Abigail was still sick. As you heard early on, it was hard for us to connect. Because one of us was sick, then another one was sick, so on and so forth. Pretty exciting stuff. But yeah, she was an absolute blast. Don't you think? Yeah, I know you agree. So like always, thank you guys and gals for listening to our show this week. It means the world to us. We hope you learned lots and lots and lots from Abigail. And be sure to subscribe, like, comment on iTunes, Spotify, iHeart. You can't comment on Spotify, so don't try. But do all those great things for us. We'd really appreciate it. We want as many people as possible to listen to this show so they can learn as much as we learn every single week from our awesome guests. And from all of us at Message Start, thank you, thank you, thank you. Have a wonderful week, and we'll see you next time.